And I looked around me and I just saw more plastic bags than, than fish. And I was quite disappointed by that. And then I thought, why can't we just clean this up? Okay, so uh, Boren, thank you so much for taking the time here in Davos. It's a crazy schedule, isn't it, for you too? Yes. Yeah. So we're see. we're sitting in the top floor of this tiny chalet now on a field. Yep. <laughs> Everybody is rampacked with meetings. Every minute counts. For sure. You just came into the room, and I think the quote of the day was already uh, you've already done it, and I'm just going to repeat it for everybody who's listening, because <laughs> yeah. I said that one of my previous one of my previous guests was um, Ross Edgley, right. uh, who swam around the whole of Great Britain in one go, just uh, going onto the boat for sleeping and sure. then swimming all day long for three months and then your comment was if you could repeat it please yeah. well it's always a relief to see that there's other people that are crazier than i am um it's quite a relief yeah. where did that um i wanted to go back a little bit because for um for all of us you know finding this purpose and this drive and and what we're dedicated to in life is mm. a challenge sometimes i was lucky that i found something very clear yeah um but now again in my second life i'm looking searching again right, you know? right, right. And, and that's why and I know most people are, are searching for their purpose mm. as well and i want to touch on on you how i think it's really amazing how so early on you found such a clear direction mm. um and maybe touch a little bit on where those inspirations you think came from what were the what were the first moments which pushed you like so committed into this path of yours yeah i i feel quite um fortunate that i've been able to find my my passion relatively early in life and it really came well really quite early uh when i was uh two years old i think i was already building things making things so when i was two the, the first thing that i built was my own chair like kind of sit on because <laughs> i thought it was more fun to sit in your self-built chair than on a chair you could buy what did it do better than the chair that you can buy nothing nothing really but i think it was pretty much ob objectively a worse chair than one you could buy <laughs> But it was just the the feeling of you know having an idea, you know, seeing that picture in your head, and then being able to to make it and to see it in reality and to touch it and to you know that that to me was really you know, sort of the, the satisfaction. And I suppose I've been kind of a creator inventor uh, since then. So things went from you know sort of DIY stuff to uh, computers to you know, explosives. Um, my my parents especially loved that that phase. Guinness uh, World Records. Yeah, so, with, with explosives. Well, so, so that went to, to to rocketry. So that you know, well, rocketry maybe big, big, big word, but um, just building sort of uh, pressurized rockets. And then uh, indeed, when it was um, you know twelve or thirteen, I said, "Well, let's try and launch two hundred and thirteen of them at the same time." And um, yeah, managed to do that and got into the Guinness Book of Records. And uh, yeah, so I always really had my 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 projects and just making crazy things it wasn't very useful it was just lots of fun to do yeah and then i was 16 went uh, scuba diving in greece looked around me and you know i, I was sort of conditioned to ex expect these these beautiful sceneries like you see in the bbc documentaries and and i looked around me and i just saw more plastic bags than, than fish and i was quite disappointed by that and then i thought why can't we just clean this up and you know can i combine my my passion for um science and technology making things with you know this solving this problem that, that i see here 
That's that's amazing, huh? How one moment like that can be then so significant for for life's course in your yeah. case as well. Things change since then, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so you, at sixteen, you decide, okay, I'm dropping out of school or, or education, and I'm going to make this happen. Like, well, isn't that that's so courageous? No, like how? Yeah, did it so take the, a lot of courage, or well, it it, t- it took a year, a year one and a half before I actually dropped out. So I was still in um, high school back then, and decided to first do um, so yeah, to do this high school science project end of the year you basically got 20 percent of your time to do a project of your choice and you know i thought this is amazing you could you know use school time to do something you're passionate about just to to dig into this this plastic problem and studying why people said that it couldn't be cleaned and thinking about possible solutions so that took about uh, a year then um, enrolled in uh, aerospace engineering at the delft university of technology and then, you know, really, although it, it was, you know, really, really quite interesting, I, I still couldn't stop thinking about this, this, this problem. So after half a year, I said, well, let's drop out. And uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always come back after a semester and um, continue the, the studies. Uh, but yeah, that, that wasn't what happened. I think that's an interesting one, that um, the people who have a lot of courage they always uh, do keep like a plan B in the back of their head, which they right. build up and make that look like, okay, that won't be too bad if that happens. Right. I mean, and that will give you, and that gives you courage to try plan A. Sure. And because your fallback is actually not too bad. Did you, so you did that hmm. in a way, yeah? It didn't really feel like a very high risk decision. You know, for, first of all, but having that backup plan, but secondly, you know, I was very young. Uh, I don't have a mortgage, no family, no obligations. So really, yeah, it was kind of the, the worst thing that could happen. I think, if you want to do something risky and you know, do a startup or anything of the sorts, um, really sort of early 20s is actually a really good time to do that. Can you take us through a little bit about the specifics of the problem? So there's this, uh, of course, the great garbage patch, but why is it so difficult to remove it? And what is the negative impact that it's having in the great in the Pacific Ocean? Sure. Yeah. So, so plastic pollution is really an issue because of three reasons. First of all, it's destroying ecosystems. So there's roughly 800 species negatively impacted by, by plastic pollution right now. Then you have the, the economic impact. Uh, we just published a paper that showed that it's up to $19 billion per year uh, damaging the, the global economy. When you say we, who, who is that? Um, so it was uh, our uh, science team combined with uh, Deloitte. Okay. So, um, so yeah, it was a few months ago. Yeah. So it's really much cheaper to solve the problem than to not do it. It's just crazy amounts. And um, and then thirdly, what happens is that these um, tiny pieces of plastic, they end up in, in fish. And um, what, what these plastic pieces do is that they attract toxic chemicals from the surrounding water onto the plastic. So so this plastic is almost like a, a toxic pill that transports these chemicals into the food chain. And that's, of course, a food chain that also includes us humans. So um, with all these potential health effects uh, associated with that. So it's, uh, I think it's roughly 3 billion people that have uh, fish as an important element of, of their diet. Of course, that's um, that's a pretty big deal as well. Is there some numbers out there on on the amount of microplastics already in the average fish that those people consume who are so heavy on on their fish in, in diets? Is there something? Or? Um, well, so it, de- it depends on the species and the sort of the life cycle of the fish. But um, yeah, for some fish, you know, for example, in the, in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, roughly uh, half of the uh, the lantern fish that you see there, which are then being consumed by the bigger fish like the tuna and the swordfish, etc., they have uh, plastic in them. So it's yeah, pretty big mats. 
So it's pretty bad as it is now, huh? and and an urgent, uh, extremely urgent matter from all those perspectives. Huh? Yeah, yeah. But then again, I I think it's um, a bad situation. But first of all, it, it can become much worse because right now we see that ninety two percent of the plastics are still large objects. And of course, what happens if we don't clean those up? Then over the next few decades, all of that will also become microplastics, and then you have basically ten times more of of that stuff out there. But then on the other hand, I also think that it's um, it's a solvable problem. You know, as long as we you know, we remove it and uh, we prevent more stuff from going in, which is what we're also working on right now on, on the rivers, I think um, you know the ocean can be come clean again. So you say it's a solvable problem. At the same time, you have like some of the most renowned scientists hmm. telling you that you're completely full of rubbish, <laughs> uh, well, and it's not going to happen, and it's not possible, right. and he's he's talking nonsense. So how do you deal with that? And how do you just how do you have such self confidence and so much self belief that you just know and yeah. keep going against all that criticism? Isn't that hard? Um, yeah, maybe one point of. Um I don't think they're really for known scientists or of people that most of their publications were about social media and things like that. So, for example, the the chief scientist, former chief scientist of the, of the NOAA, is uh, the American Oceanographic Institute is, um, is, is is advising us. We have great scientists in the team. So, but still, it you know it it is fair to say that at the beginning we received a lot of criticism from basically the entire plastic pollution community saying, well. You know, it's impossible, you shouldn't do it. So the way I, I dealt with that was to really just rationally analyze all the arguments and uh, to see, well, is it based on facts or is it just an assumption or uh, is it simply not, not not true? And when I did that, I, you know, most of the things were kind of you know, un unfounded. So, uh, for example, people were saying, well, all the plastic is uh, deep in the water column, so you can't get to it. Or all of it is microplastics, or um, you know things will will break immediately. And what we did was we basically used those lists of arguments as kind of a, a recipe of the things that we should be working on and should be studying. And basically one by one, we were able to tick them off. Yeah, so so I think it's important to distinguish between sort of good criticism and bad criticism. And you know the good criticism is you know you should really listen to because. I mean, how silly would it be to ignore that? Because you know, the only thing you care about is making this a success. And if somebody else says, "Well, you know, you should do it this way, not that way," and it's actually a good argument, you know, how silly would that be to to ignore that? Because uh, it it would only help you, you know, advance your 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 objective. But then, you know, unfortunately, that's you know, the kind of criticism that that's yeah in the minority. I think you know the majority is just kind of um, not really truthful or you know, ideology-based. Um, for example, you know, there is this big point about, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't spend resources on cleaning up. We should just prevent it from going into the ocean. Now, of course, now we are also working on that. We, we do both sides of the equation, intercepting plastic in rivers before it reaches the oceans. But then again, I think humanity can do more than one thing at the same time. And uh, this, this plastic that's in the ocean doesn't go away by itself. So if you want to solve the problem, you have to address that. And um, I suppose that um, people didn't really like that. 
I think it's so strong the respect that you're able to show your towards your critics, hmm. as you just said now. Like in in my career, I wasn't strong enough to to really sit down and have a think about what the critics are saying and if there's anything that might be founded. Hmm. <laughs> But the way you're using it or seem to use it to your advantage, yeah, and it's like free advice in the end exactly. from from some exactly. who might actually know something, right? Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really strong. Yeah, there should be more. Good criticism. So keep it coming. Yeah. <laughs> so dear, dear right. critics, keep it coming. Right. It's only yeah. making you stronger, yeah. and it's only going to help you. Exactly. Good criticism, not not the bad. Yeah, yeah of no. course. Yeah. <laughs> Can you take us through like the most challenging period for you, and what did you learn in right. that period about yourself, about mm. what you were doing? Yeah. So um, one year ago, so we um, to give a bit of history. Um, you know, so past few years we uh, we've been working on developing the system to clean the plastic from from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. After all those years of work, we finally launched the system September 2018, and one month later we realized, okay, it's, it's not catching plastic. So what we saw was that the system was moving at roughly the same speed as the plastic, which meant that the plastic wasn't coming in. And then you know we thought, okay, that's pretty bad, but uh, okay, we we can learn from this and see how we can adjust it. You know, it can't be much worse than this. And then, of course, <laughs> it, it did become uh, come worse where just before New Year's uh, 2019, the um, the system actually uh, broke into two. So an 18-meter end section disconnected from the rest of the system, which forced us to to tow the system back back to land. Man, that's hard. So exactly a year ago, you know, we're sitting in, in the office just thinking, wow, okay, <laughs> we just... Um, Spent so much time and energy and resources on 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 this this first system, and it was really kind of this make or break moment. And well, literally <laughs> broke, <laughs> and uh, that was a tough moment to kind of not be influenced by emotions too much, and by really trying to think of a, a rational course forward to see how we uh, you know, can uh, resolve it. So. I think it was um, you know a few days of like, really re few really dark days, and then uh, fortunately, you know, there's so much energy in the team as well that that kind of um, helped each other. We, I think we really helped each other there to uh, basically say, okay, let's look at this. What were the causes? Let's rationally analyze it. You know, do the root cause analysis. Like, go back to the drawing board and let's give it another try. And um, yeah, fortunately. You know, half a year later, we finally managed to to catch that first plastic. But yeah, one year ago, really bad. <laughs> bad it's, day. Jeez, um, it's nice. I think you 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 you're such a calculator with everything, mm. even like with cor like a action course and everything. Mm. So I think your your power really seems to be in preparation. Like you you extract such confidence from being prepared huh, for for any action course that you're about to take with the company. And right, is that is that the case? Yeah. Well, it's kind of the, the only way is forward, right? And um, yeah, it's um, it's just about yeah every moment thinking, okay, what's the best action I could take right now? What has the highest leverage? What has the highest chance of success? And realizing that a lot of it has to be trial and error, and that most of the lessons you get sort of the the hard way and the the painful way. Failures are the best opportunities to grow and improve and become better, right? Um. Yeah. Unless so, they're too big. Yes. <laughs> we don't want to those ones. No. So there is, yeah, that's, it's kind of, um, there's a, good and bad failures. <laughs> right. It's this, uh, in Silicon Valley, there's, there's almost this 
So this the strange love affair with failure, where yeah. people say failure is good. Well, failure is still bad. <laughs> shouldn't fail. Um, but of course, if there is a failure, you should try and learn as much from it as as, as possible. You have like 80 employees now, or is uh, that right? About so, 100 so, now. About 100, yeah. huh? Yeah. So how, what do you do to keep them inspired in such a moment of huge failure where to them, because they probably don't have the vision that you do or the confidence mm. that you do, to them, it's the end. This is not going to happen. The critics are, the, the good critics are right. <laughs> and the bad critics, everybody's right. right. Yes. This is not going to happen. What do you do in that moment to, to keep them motivated and, and keep the inspiration in them going? Was there something particular that you can remember that you, that you did? I think a lot of it is just about leading by example. Most things fail because people give up too early. So it's just about keeping going and never giving up. Yeah, just showing, you know, sort of radiating you know, confidence and uh, a, a positive attitude towards it. I think that um, that helps the team. And also just, um, you know, this is something I, I learned too recently is that it's also really important to not always position yourself as the person with the solutions, but also kind of giving it back to the team. Okay, so how would you solve it? And because, you know, giving people responsibility actually you know, empowers them to, to do great work. That's, a, that's something that I've just learned as well, because I have a, I have a small group of, group of employees now, much <laughs> smaller than yours, but we're like 15 or 16 now in, in Monaco as well, working right. on all my different, uh, uh, initiatives and, and businesses, uh, very focused on, on environment as well. Yeah. Of course, they always really ask, like, make sure that vi- they want to have a very clear vision. Right. Um, and I'm always trying, like, I'm always forcing myself to give a very clear vision, mm-hmm. but, but sometimes I don't have it actually. Mm. So I'll be. I'll be thinking about what you say now and maybe just also admit uh, that sometimes I don't have the clear vision and I'm welcome. I welcome uh, input. And yeah. that. that's, that's a cool thought. Well, there's a certain sense of you know, humility and you yeah. know, showing, you know, your vulnerability and saying, I don't know everything. And, yeah. and I think it's especially hard to make the transition for sort of tech oriented founders because, you know, you are programmed as an inventor and engineer to. <laughs> Find solutions to, to, to problems, right? And, yeah. and then to say to your team, well, okay, I don't have the solution right now. What do you think should be the solution? That's a really hard transition, but it's important because eventually, especially with 100 people, it's not, about, uh, it's not only about what's the best idea ideas coming from my brain, but it's really about how do I make sure that we get all the best ideas out of all these 100 brains because yeah, they are much smarter than, than I am. It's incredible the skill set that's required from from you in that case. You need to be the best inventor. You need to be the best leader. You need to know how to how mm. to sell and market things, which you do really well as well mm. on social media. I mean, it's amazing content. So you really need to be so multifaceted mm. to be able to have success. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I'm quite a a, a generalist in that. Um, I also actually really enjoy switching from very different kind of problems throughout yeah. the day you know yeah. one point in time you're sitting in a meeting about recycling you're talking about you know co- covalent bonds and some chemistry stuff and the next moment it's it's about you know com- communication next moment is about uh, yeah. production or you know structural engineering that's you know part of my sort of job that I enjoy most. Yeah, I think that's pro- possibly your greatest asset that you're such a generalist. And I would like to take Elon Musk as an example as well. Mm. It's rare that an engineer is able to be a, a, such a great storyteller as well, mm. for example. And Elon Musk is an unbelievable engineer that and really an well. unbelievable right. storyteller and marketeer. Right. And it's the combination which has made uh, Tesla into such a force. 
with yeah. such a following and, and to take on such an industry. Hmm. I think that's something probably that you, uh, that you are, are similar. You don't well, need to confirm, but I'm sure that you're very similar in that sense. I think it's just about doing what's the best thing or what's the most important thing for, for the mission. And it's important to realize if you want something to be successful, you know, there's always these two sides, you know, you have the making it happen. And you know, so the supply and the demand side, basically. And, you know, just like with, with Tesla, they need to build great products, but they also need to have, you know, the world wanting the, those great products. And I mean, same thing is here. If nobody cares about cleaning the ocean, it's not going to happen. So it's really important that a lot of people care about it and spread the word and, you know, help donate and find supporters and partners. Where can uh, my, my listeners uh, donate? Ah, well, so the I'll, ocean. Jo I'll join in at the same, <laughs> on the same go. <laughs> uh, so on theoceancleaner.com, all the information is there. Thanks for, for your help there. So we're all going to donate. Um, That's nice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Support you on the next push. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, but maybe coming back to the uh, sort of the generalist point. So it's just about being so passionate about the goal that you kind of able to learn yourself all the skills that, that you need to do. I, th I think every listener is familiar with, you know, for example, in, in school, there's things that interest you, things that don't interest you, how hard it is to learn things or to try and learn things that don't interest you. Oh my goodness. It's, it's really difficult. So, you know, so by being extremely passionate about the thing you're working on, you know, there's all these subcomponents that may be very different disciplines, but you'll be able to familiarize yourself with them just because you're you're passionate about it. So, what was the most dry and horrible book that you had to get get through recent, <laughs> recently? Oh. <laughs> um, most of my books aren't very uh, well. They may be dry, but not really hard to get through. Because <laughs> well, well, you said some areas are just not interesting, but you have to you have to get through them and oh, learn no, no, to my, become an expert even in that space. Well, my point is more that you know, if you're passionate about the overarching objective, well, uh, it's not hard to do those okay, things okay. Um, in, my, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, when I called you, um, I think it was the end of last... No, we, we emailed, I think, the end of last year. Yeah. You said, uh, Nico, it's all... It's all great. Thank you very much for all, for your invitation, but I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to attend anything because I have to put in a hundred hour weeks at the moment to yeah. try and get this beta system to be a success. Um, right. towards the end of, <laughs> towards the end of 2019. Yeah. Sorry for declining that. But no, no, <laughs> no, but how do you, I mean, isn't, do you manage to keep some balance in, in such a insane workload that you, that you put into that? No. <laughs> no, I'm completely out of balance. What if, well, uh, I don't even know. Balance means, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> no, I think, yeah, of course, yeah, sure, surely again, I suppose it's more of a, a symptom from being passionate about it than something fundamental. But for most, if not all great work, you just have to put in a lot of time and effort. And um, yeah, just last year, you know, it was such a make or break year. I mean, if that beta system wouldn't have functioned, you know, we would be in pretty dodgy situation right now, I think. And you know, if with the river systems, um, you know, if, if that we didn't pull that off, so actually that's another thing. Like one year ago, so we're we're doing these two things in parallel: cleaning up what's already in the ocean, intercepting in rivers what's um, uh, not yet reached the ocean to prevent it from going into the ocean. And a year ago, we so we were already working on those two projects and. On the ocean, no, the system failed, and on the riverside, we had uh, we had exactly one system, which had been stuck in customs for a year already in the Indonesia. So, so really, <laughs> it was even worse than probably people saw from from the outside. But 
then we managed to get it out. And now we have two systems operational, thousands of kilos of day per day being extracted from rivers. And um, and the ocean system uh, yeah, managed to, to get that to work. But yeah, really on both fronts, it was a make or break year last year. And it was just important to, to not have um, any distractions. But um, actually, it was the first time, sort of end of last year, that I felt personally that I've even reached a limit. That was... <laughs> That happens. Boyan has a limit. Well, I, I didn't actually didn't know that was possible because you know, it doesn't really feel when you're passionate about something. It doesn't really feel like work, and I was just, and suddenly, <laughs> it it did feel like work, and that was quite um, disconcerting to me. And um, so then, like last two weeks of the year, I just took off and just read a bunch of books, and uh, that was really quite necessary because it was a really difficult year, but. And looking back, it, I think it was, was worth it. So one more common theme there I think you see across all incredible leaders is uh, is reading. Uh, I think it's so mm. powerful. And I'm pushing myself as well to read as much as I can on, on just personal development books and, and books that are relevant to to the mission that, you're, mm. that you want to undertake. So I think that's another important lesson to the, to the listener. Um, final words then, can you say what you wish for your success now to look like in in i mean of course without going into too much detail but you're deploying your first full system mm. when is that going to happen and what do you hope that that's going to be able to achieve in the pacific ocean yeah on the ocean side the um the system i think will take roughly a year to be ready for that so so this year will fully just be dedicated to developing what we call system two which will be the first full-scale fully operational cleanup system and we'll kind of be this blueprint for the whole fleet of systems that we need to deploy to really clean the whole patch. So that's going to be this year. Uh, so probably deployment next year. And then on the uh, the river side, we, we now have two systems operational and then aim to to scale this up to another you know, dozen or so systems by the end of the year. So throughout Southeast Asia and Central America, yeah, that should put us on track to hopefully have a thousand of these systems uh, in the ocean or in the in all the rivers by um, 2025, which should stop 80% of all plastic going to the ocean from actually reaching the ocean. So a few busy years ahead for sure. <laughs> and then soon we'll be, we'll be able to buy awesome products as well, right? Or are they already yeah. available from, yeah. your, from your plastic that you gathered? Exactly. So that's, that's actually the third thing that, that we're working on is because I think the, one of the main problems is that plastic doesn't have any value. So by using the story of the cleanup to create value, uh, emotional value to this material, uh, we hope to actually create sort of this business model to keep the cleanup going. And um, we'll be trying this out this year. So in September, we'll be launching the first product, 100% made from plastic from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. I'll cover it on my uh, social media as well then. That I'll, I'll, support, most you. I'll support yeah. you with the launch. Brilliant. And... Um, yeah, and actually, people can already kind of uh, claim their their seat in in line on our website for mm. for that first product. We haven't shared what the product is, but um, if you want to put money in something you don't know what it's going to be, this is your opportunity. <laughs> so you already you already have a queue of people, yeah, waiting <laughs> for a product that they don't know what it is. I think it's about six, six thousand people have now put exciting. money in for amazing. How much how much do I have to put? Uh, fifty bucks. Fifty bucks, and I get bucks. to be the six thousand and first. Yes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, we we only have a limited amount of products that we can um, 
launch in September because we only have a limited amount of plastic now because it's just a beta system. Yeah, so definitely if you want to make sure that you don't miss the boat, yeah, I would recommend sa signing up now. Yeah, but this is even better. It's the first limited edition batch. It's the this first ever special. plastic from the Great Pacific ultra Garbage Patch. special, not to miss out on. You can you can own a piece of the Garbage Patch. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, sustainable product. So it's pretty exciting too, I think. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Boyan. I think everybody uh, loved, uh, loved the inspiration and all the insights you, you gave. Are you a big Max Verstappen fan then, being Dutch? Oh, yeah. I was watch. Yeah. Uh, big supporter. Uh, yeah. He's amazing, huh? Quite, quite yeah. It's... Um, pretty aggressive but um yeah. it's a joy to watch especially if he starts at the back <laughs> the field it's awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it's quite yeah. special uh, yeah. when when he goes out of the race you you know that the race is only going to be half as exciting right so right. It's always a, if he goes out it's always a huge disappointment for everybody very true yeah, yeah. and uh, i think it's gonna be cool to watch the the he's like the new generation yeah. against the old generation right. which is lewis hamilton yeah could be that this is the year where they really go right. head to head right. if max gets the car good enough That's from red bull yeah so i think it could be an epic uh, f1 season mm -hmm. thank you very much hey uh, cheers bye bye everybody